Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. We're going to the fair! Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) Iowa. (laughs) We're going to the Iowa State Fair. Now, for those that aren't familiar, the Iowa State Fair is surprisingly a little bit of a political event. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because Iowa is um, what they refer to as a caucus state. So it's one of the, the very first caucus states where voting takes place. For presidential elections, um, primaries specifically, so that determination of who will be the Republican candidate, everyone is looking to Iowa of, okay, who are, who is, are they going for? And that honestly really impacts the rest of the election. So the Iowa State Fair, lots of presidential candidates show mm-hmm. up for this, as well as I think there's, it's over a 10-day period, there's about a million people, about a million Americans yeah. that come to this fair to eat things like deep fried Oreos. Dude, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm also ready for a corn dog. Like all of oh, the wow. little booth stand things with like all the lights and all the little rides. Um, growing up, you know, in the Midwest, as I love to proudly proclaim, um, <laughs> it was always so fun. My mom and dad would have Fox News on. And during this time, we would see all these people that were in suits normally wearing, you know, polos and yeah. trying to be down to earth and I'm like I know that's that's not really you <laughs> you wear a suit in real life yeah. <laughs> like what are you doing but I'm so excited I'm very excited well Kristen and I are going for more than just corn dogs and deep fried Oreos we are going to be uh, talking to folks on the ground asking questions about their political views where they stand on on some of the critical issues that we talk about on this show and we're going to be spreading the word on the daily signal and heritage mm-hmm. foundation and project 2025 wow. and all these different initiatives for what we're doing here in the building and educating uh, americans on really what's happening in washington dc so we're excited if you happen to be coming to the iowa state fair we're going to be there on monday and tuesday come mm-hmm. find our booths we'll be running around the fair we would love to see you we're going to have at least at the daily signal booth we're going to have some tote bags to yeah. hand out i know there's going to be some pretty sweet merchandise we have at some, all of our booths some coupons allegedly For like that buckets. might be fake we don't know yet but we will all <laughs> I, I learned this yesterday we will all be wearing matching coordinated polos and visors which i am so wow. stoked for that's like, actually fantastic i'm ready <laughs> that's that's top notch that is top notch uh well next week's show might look a little bit different because we're we're gonna be at the fair but we're hoping to bring you all some updates from the fair so yeah. make sure you're following problematic women on instagram and be sure to catch the show next week because uh, we're gonna try and give you a little bit of, a, of an exclusive window and look into the Iowa State Fair. Uh, but, Kristen, we have a full show today. Let us know what we have queued up. Yeah, it's, it's a big one today. <laughs> up on today's Problematic Women, U.S. women's soccer lost. <laughs> we have a hot take on why their star may have fallen so quickly. Plus, guest Hayden Sledge joins us to discuss how a ballot initiative in Ohio could save thousands of lives. She also shares her journey into politics and offers advice for young working women and for those problematic women headed back to college. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. 
All right. So U.S. women's soccer set a record this year. And that is the earliest World Cup exit ever Mm. for them. It Mm. is quite sad. For those who maybe haven't discovered the wonderful sport of soccer, or at least (laughs) haven't, you know, turned on Apple TV and seen Ted Lasso, (laughs) this year's World Cup was hosted in the oceanic regions of Australia and New Zealand. Um, The women's team unfortunately lost to Sweden in penalty kicks after barely making the round of 16. What I mean by that is they tied twice and won once. That's terrible. Like, usually you don't qualify. They were lucky because other teams lost in the round robin rounds. Um, And so two ties and a win was enough to make it to that round of 16. Usually that's not the case. Um, Mm. And obviously I'm criticizing them. (laughs) But while criticism continues to pour in for the four-time World Cup and four-time Olympic champions, just to put it into perspective, like that is not, I mean, that's a record in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Some are actually celebrating the loss, claiming that it is a long time coming, Hmm. which, I mean, I grew up playing soccer. So from the time that I was, I want to say, six or seven, World Cup was on. We would watch it. There was the South Africa Men's World Cup. There was Beijing. There was a bunch of, I mean, for the Olympics, um, there was a bunch of crazy stuff um, that, you know, you saw these players um, just really, you know, setting records. And there was a lot of momentum. Mm. Virginia, I'm not sure if you kept up with the World Cup. <laughs> so I, I am, I'm, I am not. <laughs> I would not call myself a soccer fan, Kristen. Um, and I don't know. I, I definitely, I think I'm, I fall a little bit more in that bucket of uh, football, along with Lauren. Yeah, uh, that's fair. <laughs> but I love your investment in soccer, and I'm, I'm really interested to follow it through you <laughs> in <Yeah>. a way. <laughs> Uh, and and to hear from those who who follow soccer so closely, I feel like there's almost been over the past several years with the women's team and with Megan Rapino and her push to just move the sport so far to the left and in general to move sports so far to the mm-hmm. left by embracing things like uh, men being allowed to play in women's sports. There's been a real sadness, I would say, yeah. uh, within women's soccer as far as uh, those who love the sport and know the sport and know that uh, the sport of soccer, I think, is uh, it's obviously the probably the sport internationally like you look at any sport that people all over the world can be excited over can rally around soccer's it yeah there's a lot of buy-in and yet we've seen instead of um keeping keeping the focus on sportsmanship and celebrating the sport as a whole and how it develops both men and women and the camaraderie around it. Instead, we've seen this kind of slow creep in of a political agenda. And I think it's sad because for the longest time, this political agenda wasn't something that existed in this sport. Mm-hmm. And you're so right. Like soccer is, in my opinion, not maybe for everyone, the football <laughs> of women's sports. Yeah. Like this is where we get the most fans and it would took forever to kind of get the recognition that we needed. And the reason women's sports or, you know, women's soccer got the recognition that it has since received, like we fill stadiums now for our U.S. women's team. The reason that is the case is because they won. All they mm. did was win. We went to a World Cup. We lost one year and we beat like annihilated Japan the next year, who actually was the one that ended up winning a World Cup the previous time. Like, we just were relentlessly good. And it was something that 
little girls like me, um, other, you know, little girls growing up, I've coached, you know, um, first graders, like everyone looks up to these girls, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, all of these women. And that's why it's so sad um, for those who maybe haven't been keeping up. So many people have started just, you know, celebrating this loss. Megan Kelly said, and I mean, rightfully so to some extent. Megan Kelly said, I'm thrilled they lost. Good. I'm glad you went down. You don't support America. I don't support you. Lauren Ingram took it a little further and said, I know a lot of folks are angry that anyone could be happy about this outcome, but let this be a lesson for Rapino and a lot of her teammates. If you don't support America or at least are not perceived to support America, don't expect America to blindly support you either. Mm. And I'm going to be honest, totally feel that. Yeah. Because it is expensive to go to these games. I mean, they went to Australia. That mm-hmm. is a twenty-something flight, hour flight. Mm-hmm. They went to Australia, New Zealand, for this crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. We can bleep it out if we <laughs> I need think to. You can say crap on the podcast. <laughs> but it was embarrassing, and you know the reason for this. Uh, this is my hot take officially. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, my hot take is hot take. instead of investing in women's sports as we should have been in, you know ensuring that they had the equipment, the coaches, and the players that we needed to represent our country. Instead, we went and fought for, you know, equal pay, which, you know, fine, that's cool. But the moment they started fighting for equal pay, and they won actually in 2016, they took it another step forward. And they asked for, you know, even more stuff. And now they're fighting for, you know, transgenders to be Mm -hmm. on teams. Megan Rapinoe actually celebrated the fact that transgender athletes, so men, could play against soccer. And we've talked about this on the show before, Introducing men to women's sports, especially something as hard and aggressive as soccer. Like, mm-hmm. I tore both my ACLs playing soccer against women. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the bones being broken, the ligaments being torn, and just the sheer power being introduced to a sport that is wildly a beautiful game of passing, strategy, etc. I'm I'm livid. Um, that being said... I was able to play soccer for 18 years without a political agenda. Yeah. I think we can return to that. Um, Megan Rapinoe kind of, you know, she celebrated um, in the, the press conference after the loss. She missed a penalty kick, which she never does, which I think is ironic. And she said, we left this sport in a much better place than where we started in it. And I think there is a little bit of truth to that because people are waking up. Women are waking up. They don't want their children playing against men. And there is about to be a battle for women's soccer, women's sports in general, that we have never seen before. And I think that's largely because we've started introducing men. There's going to be a reckoning, man. I, I, like, can see it. And um, I'm excited to see, you know— people stand up for the next generation because Mm -hmm. we're going to continue to to see losses like this for a team that has won eight championships you know olympic and world cup um so i'm ready i'm ready for the fight um (laughs) i'm going to make sure that i'm you know involved in it and we'll keep covering it here i guess yeah yeah (laughs) i love because i just love your enthusiasm around this and i you know you look at comments like those that megan kelly and laura ingram made and it makes sense in so many ways because remember uh, Megan Rapino and so many of the women on the USA team, you know, they chose to take a knee during mm-hmm. the national anthem. And so there's this feeling of, okay, if, if you're going to essentially fake represent America abroad, then yeah, we're you're not representing America. Yeah. You're why are you even willing to play on the women's soccer team if you're not willing to stand up during our national anthem? anthem the fans deserve better the fans deserve better and the american people deserve better and i think many people feel like 
the the woke agenda that was so embraced by the women's soccer team, by USA Women's Soccer, really was a, a distraction. And um, so while, of course, we want to see all of our teams succeed, I, I do understand where Megan Kelly and Laura Ingram are coming from. So, well, there goes another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's what happens when you distract your own country and other countries are investing in theirs. But yeah, yeah. we will we will prevail. <laughs> we will prevail <laughs> and stay in the fight to protect women's sports. Absolutely. Well, stay tuned because up next we have a special guest joining us. But before she does join us and before we dive into more news, I want to tell you all about a great way that you can stay on top of the news every single day. It's called The Morning Bell, and each weekday, The Daily Signal delivers the top news and commentary directly to your inbox, and it's free. You'll be able to read about the policy debates that are shaping the agenda here in Washington, D.C., analysis from experts at the Heritage Foundation, and commentary from many leading conservative voices. It's really easy to sign up for The Morning Bell. You can just go to dailysignal.com. You can click on the Connect button that's in the top right corner of the page and you will start receiving the morning bell tomorrow. All right, let's go ahead and welcome our guest. We are joined today by my friend Hayden Sledge. Hayden, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Virginia. This is honestly an honor and I I love this show. So thanks for having me. Well, this is special because we actually became friends during COVID, Mm -hmm. which is very fun remotely. (laughs) Zoom partners. Yeah, Zoom partners. (laughs) You were at home. I was at home. And I guess I had spoken um, to your intern class Mm -hmm. at the Family Research Council. Was that it? Okay. And then you had reached out and we just sort of started chatting and doing zooms and it was really fun it was neat to develop a covid friend <laughs> it was awesome i just have always appreciated your heart um your, your christian background and just your heart within the political realm and that's just truly been an encouragement to me so mm. i really do appreciate our friendship well it's really fun to get to lock arms with other mm. other women who have the same views sure. beliefs who are pursuing similar things we really need that uh, it's something that I think is so critical for, for everybody. But I think as women, there's like this deep place in our hearts. So it's like we need this connection. Truly. It's really important. Hayden, can you share just a little bit of, of your own story, of your background, how you became interested in the political mm-hmm. space, and how you wound up now in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, of course. Well, I've had an interest in politics since I was in high school. Um, I really became involved in you know, interested in the process during the 2016 presidential election. (laughs) Um, As you might expect, I was quite enthralled and intrigued by the entire process. And I remember watching the debates and just being captivated and wanting to follow the campaign trail. It's just exciting for me, even though that was, you know, a really, really difficult and difficult time, like on the campaign trail for, for both candidates and just a hard season in general for them. Um, it was really interesting to, to follow it. I was in high school and I did speech and debate, and it was essentially an activity for young adults to hash out the hot topics. And um, that could be climate control or whether free will exists. And the topics were challenging and fascinating and endless. And the reality, though, about the environment was that it was very left-leaning mm-hmm. most of the time. And that was discouraging in some ways of, you know, where is the conservative voice even here? Um, 
And I, you know, I was interested in government and politics, and I did my state's youth legislature program, which was a really cool bunch of um, young high school students getting to debate mock legislation. And I remember talking to a couple people who were kind of frustrated and and hurt by Christians in the political space. Mm. Um, And I felt a deep conviction then to to be a witness for Christ more so um, and, and to show that Christians are loving and kind and kind of balancing that tension of grace and truth. Yeah. It's really important to me. So important. Something I love, and we, we became fast yeah. friends um, just a, a few months ago, but um, you actually went to school, I, I want to say like 30 minutes away yeah. from where yeah. I grew up, which I just love. Midwest is the best. Um, uh, <laughs> I have to debate you on that. <laughs> Southern gal. Yes. But... Uh, <laughs> But I think what's what's really cool is, yeah, you went from the South. You went to a place that's a little less friendly to um, those mm-hmm. on the right. Um, definitely survival mode in Illinois. But um, you got involved in one of the biggest issues, I think. And there are a lot of Midwestern um, individuals out there that this is very important to them, even mm-hmm. if the big cities within their state think differently. Um, so how are you really introduced to that pro-life fight and, and just the pro-life movement in general? What got you hooked? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was truly shocked when I was thinking about the idea of what an abortion actually is. Um, the left likes to portray it a lot of the times as we're just terminating a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say killing a child because it doesn't sound as good or sound as um, appealing. And Um, That really concerned me. I was shocked, especially with the left's messaging of saying we've got to fight for justice. We've got to protect the most vulnerable of of these children that have literally no capacity to advocate for themselves, um, their lives being ended. And I was frustrated by that, particularly just with the left trying to identify more so as as the group of people who are for the lesser thans. And I felt particularly as as a female, a female conservative, that I could offer a unique perspective to advocate for pro-life values um, because it's it's coming from such a more um, strong and empathetic and believable place when you mm-hmm. as a woman can say, you know, I do have the capacity to be pregnant and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm pro-life mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, you know, I even had an opportunity to, to write an article about to really true be pro-women is to be pro-life. And um, did receive pushback from a girl I knew in high school. Um, she blocked me and even told me that she was praying to God that my heart would change. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And, and that kind of also reminded me that this isn't just a battle between the religious and secular, but we've got people that identify as believers who mm-hmm. identify as religious that are for abortion. Mm-hmm. And that kind of also opened up my eyes to this. This is more of an uphill battle. Um, this isn't just about religious versus secular anymore. Mm-hmm. And that became a heart for me. But yeah, really just the pro-life perspective really is pro-women because when you continue those pregnancies, um, there are so many amazing um, females that come out of that, you know, future teachers, doctors, nurses, amazing mothers. And yeah. so to, to be pro-life is is to be pro-women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's really fascinating because I I feel like increasingly I run into that where you do meet people who have um, deep Christian faith, but they are pro-abortion. And it, it's really fascinating to 
kind of think through, okay, how, how did, how do they reason this out for themselves? And where can I in love challenge them? (laughs) That's a tricky balance. Were you raised in a Christian home with, with those pro-life values being upfront and central? You know, I, I was raised in a conservative community. My family was Christian. We didn't necessarily talk about pro-life values all the time, but I remember a distinct conversation with my dad talking about being pro-life from conception all the way to the end of life. But yeah, as I got older, you know, more engaged and interested in the topic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I feel like everyone has some sort of not everyone, but most people within the pro-life movement have some sort of sort of moment where it's like, okay, like mm-hmm. I think I'm pro-life. And then there's a little bit of a stake in the ground of like, oh, no, 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 this really makes matters. sense. It, it matters. Yeah. It's a big deal because you realize it, it's a life and death issue. You mm-hmm. realize the stakes are that high and that you have to choose. Like you, you can't be wishy-washy. You have to be on one side or the other on this issue. Um, well, and I, I want to take a minute right now and just talk about one of the one of the states that's trying to put a stake in the ground mm-hmm. on this issue. So in the state of Ohio, there is a real fight going on mm-hmm. over this issue of life. And of course, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, we talked about it so much on this show. But what happened is now states are getting to decide how do we move forward on the life issue. And so Ohio lawmakers, they had passed a six-week abortion ban to say um, once a baby in the womb reaches six weeks, then you cannot abort that child. Six weeks is usually when a baby's heartbeat starts to beat right around in that time. Well, of course, this was challenged and um, is currently that six-week abortion ban is blocked in the courts and the um, the pro-abortion movement, though, they decided that in order to permanently block that six-week abortion uh, ban, that they were going to try to enshrine a quote-unquote right to abortion into the state's constitution. We've seen this play out in other states, uh, such as in Kansas. And uh, this, is, this is really a, a strategic move on the part of the pro-abortion uh, pro-abortion movement to say, okay, um, we're going to try and make this permanent. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that opens the floodgates for all sorts of laws to be able to be passed in a state that are very, very pro-abortion. So this is what pro-abortion advocates said. This is what we're going to try and do in Ohio. Well, then the pro-life movement said, okay, wait a second. We need to be able to protect life in our state. So they voted on Tuesday Um, There was sort of a special election in Ohio. They voted on something called Issue 1. And what that ballot measure was intended to do was to raise the threshold for passing an amendment to the Ohio State Constitution from just needing 50 percent of the vote in order for an amendment to the state constitution to pass 50 percent plus one to now raising the threshold to 60 percent. So it would be a lot harder come November for this pro-abortion measure to pass. Well, um, unfortunately, what happened in Ohio is that uh, that kind of new leveling up the threshold failed, that measure failed uh, pretty significantly. Um, we're seeing from like Ballotpedia, they're reporting that 57 
percent of Ohioans vote of the of those who voted in Ohio voted that no, they didn't want the threshold raised, um, and just about forty three percent voted in favor of it. So why is, does this matter? This matters because come like I said, come November, there's a vote in Ohio where individuals have the right to go to the polls and vote for a quote-unquote right to abortion to be enshrined into the Ohio Constitution. So this now sets Ohio up to potentially be one of the most uh, most pro-abortion states within America and really can quickly undo so much of the pro-life work in the state. And I, I, you sort of step back and... There's a part of me that just says, how are we still here? How are we still at a place where this is so controversial, even with our advanced science, even with the fact that we know that from the moment of conception, a baby has everything that it needs in order to develop into a completely unique human being, even though we know that a heart starts beating at six weeks um, and that a, a baby can start feeling pain um, you know, uh, around um, certainly before 20 weeks uh, of pregnancy. And, you know, we, we have all this knowledge, we have all this information, and yet we're still here fighting for a baby's right to live, just to live. I mean, wh- why do you all, when you kind of step back and look at this, why do you think we're still so much in the weeds of this fight? I I think the biggest thing is the sort of deception of the abortionists to make it seem like policies, the the proposition that they'll be voting on in November is is reasonable, when in reality, this term of reproductive freedom using the amendment language is intentionally vague and is used by its proponents to expand the abortion industry. The amendment is sweeping. Um, and it eliminates parental consent or any parental involvement. And so I think the reality is is that they're trying to portray this as, oh, this is just a proposition to to continue women's availability or ability to to have a, access to abortion when in mm-hmm. reality it is just expanding in such a much more radical proposition. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's scary about this is, yes, the reason we needed – the left needed to pass this bill is to make it easier or this um, ballot initiative. The reason that the left was so supportive of it is for those later fights. And mm-hmm. they took the messaging out of this specific fight, raising the um, the need for a ballot initiative to pass by 50 percent to 60 percent. They, they, quote unquote, won that. And they're calling it a win for, you know, those in the pro-choice movement. Um, I don't even know if that's the correct AP style guide at this point because they've oh, changed it, it so many yeah, times. Yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> but, We're using all the wrong language exactly. today I mean, and embracing it. But that's that's the thing is they're winning on messaging. And you're mm-hmm. in, in media and comms, um, Hayden, as well as, as me. I have that background. And I think that is how the left wins. It's so important for them to make it about things that are completely irrelevant. Um, I was shocked because the ads that were run in Ohio for this ballot initiative on the right, we had the deep voice and they're like, 
parents, you need your rights, and if not, children are under attack. And then on the left, we hear this hot and heavy, steamy scene in a bedroom. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be there. And then you hear a, con- a congressman, a Republican congressman, saying, hey, I'm in your bedroom, and I'm holding on to this condom, and you can't use it because it's illegal. And mm-hmm. really, this ballot initiative has nothing to do with Absolutely either of those nothing. things. Mm-mm. What they should have said, what I would have said if I was in charge, because obviously I'm the expert here, <laughs> is... It should be hard to change a constitution. It should be so Mm -hmm. difficult because we were founded on principles. Each state had the opportunity to, you know, come up with a constitution specific to the needs and of the individuals in those states and the values of that state, which is why at the end of the day, it should be 60 percent. It should be more than a a simple majority in order to change it. Mm -hmm. That's full stop. That's what it should have been. Yeah. And, and the fact, people on both sides of the aisle should be able to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's common sense. But we're always circling around this target of common sense and, and playing, you know, like, this is the pretty object we're talking about, or this is what the, the right's taking away from you, when in reality, it has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about this measure, and I was thinking about this fight for life that's transpiring in Ohio. And um, I was remembering that... so. This past weekend, I went down to North Carolina to visit a good friend of mine who just had a baby. Literally, baby Louie is two weeks old and just the cutest thing. And my friend was telling me there's actions that she'll see her tiny little baby do, like with Mm. his fists. And she'll realize, like, oh, my goodness, that's what I was feeling you do when you were in the womb. And he's still doing the exact same movements that he was doing in the womb. And my mind flashed back to when we've been at pro-abortion marches and I've seen literally pregnant women written on their bellies, Mm -hmm. not a human yet. And your mind is just blown of how can you possibly say that, that this is a a human that's moving around and that's, that's making actions in the womb that, you know, five days later, they'll be making outside the womb and the uniqueness and the beauty of a human. It, it's just incredible. And the care that the Lord takes in crafting every, every person and how unique that is. Um, and I, I think we can, we can get really, really uh, caught up sometimes in, in the weeds. And it's, it's really important from a legislative perspective and a legislative fight that we know the material and we know the talking points and the arguments. Um, but sometimes it's also really beautiful just to kind of step back and remember, wait a second, mm-hmm. let's let's look at, at the reality that we are fighting for these little ones um, and Virginia. for them to have a future. Virginia, you're, you're so right. Um, the Charlotte Lozier Institute does amazing work and they really paint this picture about you know, by the 17th and 18th week of gestation, the, f- the fetus is showing a, a clear response to pain. That's mm. been found in multiple studies. And they're also practicing breathing and crying. Wow. Um, and, and even breastfeeding in the womb. And so, again, that just goes back to the whole messaging of the left trying to say that, you know, this is just a termination of a clump of cells when in reality this child has the capacity to cry and feel mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely horrific. It is. It really is. Well, um, as always, we will continue to keep you all updated on this issue. And come November, we'll be following that vote in Ohio. Um, if you live in Ohio, get engaged on this issue because at the end of the day, this shouldn't be political. We're talking mm-hmm. about protecting life and that is a human right. Life is a human right at the most basic and essential level. But stay with us because up next, we are crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. 
Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to the woman who's sitting right here with us, Hayden Sledge. <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Uh, Would have been kind of awkward if it was anyone else. I know. <laughs> Just <kidding. laughs> Wasn't expecting it. <laughs> like, please surprise, come to the studio. <laughs> But um, as a young conservative woman in D.C., we have so many questions for you, and we've touched on a few of them throughout the show. Um, but I guess, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't in D.C. and and kind of, you know, looking at politics, how do I get involved? Um, but is working in D.C. what you expected, like being a working woman in D.C.? Is it all that, that you thought it would be? That's a great question. I, I would say um, the most honest answer is no, because mm. it's not that glamorous. Um, <laughs> Speak. <laughs> especially the advocacy side of things. I mean, you are continuing to advocate for things that it feels like much of the world is against, and that can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people here are, are incredible. I mean, everyone in D.C., whether you agree with them or not, is passionate about something. And so you're around a lot of yep. Um, driven people. But it's it's been an amazing experience. Um, I love the organizations that I've had the opportunity to work for. And um, I don't see myself leaving D.C. anytime soon, which is which is good. Good. We need someone like you here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hayden, I know that your faith is very, very important to you. And we've talked a little bit about that already. But when you talk about the political space, unfortunately, sometimes people kind of separate out politics and faith from each other. But for you, how how does your faith influence how you operate in Washington, D.C., and even just in the professional world as a young woman? Totally. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I have had multiple conversations where I've talked to people that have been they've perceived Christians to be, you know, mean or bigots. And and that's really just been disheartening for me because that's not the Lord's heart at all. And so I've had a strong conviction to to handle these topics with grace and truth. You cannot compromise on the mm-hmm. truth, but being able to articulate things in a way that, that is loving and winsome and, um, you know, reaches people is is so important. And so that's been really important to me. I was able to be a chaplain once. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of Alabama or not Alabama, but Girl State or Girls Nation mm. or any of that. It's basically a, a mock Senate for, for, for young women. It's amazing. And I got to be a chaplain um, for that. And so just being able to be the light in any way, shape or form that you can, um, whether that's sharing the gospel or, or acting that acting the gospel out mm-hmm. is is really just um, has been a big a big part of my that's heart huge. and my story. I love that. Well, and when when you think about other young women coming to Washington D.C., whether they're just starting out their career or they want to come, what advice mm-hmm. would you give to those who are 
who are launching their career at the start of their career? And maybe what are some things that would have been helpful for you to know? Yeah, so um, say what you will about her, but I read Megan Kelly's book when I was in high school, mm. Settle for More. And she encourages people to use being underestimated as an advantage. Mm -hmm. And people may see you as the girl in a pink dress with the bubbly personalities coming mm -hmm. in with stilettos and maybe question your competency and drive. Let them underestimate you and then prove them wrong. Uh, I would say that to all young women. Um, you don't have to sacrifice your warmth and um, kind personality to, to follow your dreams and follow your calling. Um, allow people to perceive you um, and have a lower bar than um, what you actually have to offer and, and use that to your advantage. Um, I would also encourage college girls in particularly to, to find that community, not just in friendships, but mm -hmm. those that are like-minded ideologically. Um, yes, it's amazing to have friends that aren't involved in the political realm. That's great. That's refreshing. But also having friends that can say, I agree with you and I can stand by you. And it's great that you're advocating for truth. So groups like Young Women for America are awesome because they offer that kind of that hub for people to find that community. Mm -hmm. Iron sharpens iron. We've heard that before, but it's really needed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you could totally, I mean, not just people in D.C., but like people all over, professional and college mm -hmm. um, aged women could totally take that. I loved that Megan Kelly yeah. <laughs> line. That was great. Yeah, I want to be underestimated. So but um, I guess if, you know, college is kind of mm -hmm. back in swing. This is actually the first year my family doesn't have someone going, you know, into college, which wow. is kind of sad. But congrats, parents. Change of season. <laughs> Empty nesters. Um, do you have any advice for those? Because you were, you were kind of in college more recently than Virginia and I. Um, any of any advice for those um, kind of going back to, to school, like how to make the most of like the opportunities there? Maybe they're thinking about getting involved in politics, but not really sure what to do on campus. Like what advice do you have to really make the most of that opportunity? Yeah, get involved as much as possible. If there's not a conservative club on your campus, you go start it. <laughs> um, yeah, allow yourself to to ignite the conversations, to start the conversations. Something that has been tremendously beneficial for me has been mentors and role models. Mm -hmm. um, Virginia has been one for me in a way. Find people you look up to and just pick their brain. Pick their brain. Um, they have so much wisdom and knowledge, and they have so much that they can teach you. Find people that can pour into you. It may be awkward to say, hey, I'd really like you to be my mentor. Um, but even just initiating that kind of conversation can bring just such a wealth of information and guidance and knowledge. And the world is your oyster, ladies. Seriously. <laughs> um, you can go start that club um, on your liberal campus and be a pro-life advocate. People, it may feel like you're fighting this fight alone, but you're not. And there are so many women and so many people across the country that also feel lonely and also feel like they're the only ones that stand up for conservative values. And that's just not the truth. That's what the other side wants you to think. But there is such a strong coalition of pro-life and conservative women that you can lean on and, and lock arms with. 
Mm, I love that. Are there any practical things that conservative women should take with them to their college campus, Mm. item-wise, a a packing list, if you will, for Mm. for conservative guide? The conservative guide guide to college. (laughs) (laughs) I know because one of the things you've mentioned is like having a pocket constitution. Oh yeah, that you know you're able to to whip out when you need to, and I think depending upon how much you want to challenge your friends or, or professors, but it can be really helpful to just yeah. be able to pull up and say, wait a second, mm-hmm. um, that's actually not accurate. I was the worst during COVID and I had one in my wallet. My wallet's like kind of longer. So I <laughs> of put course it, you did. I did. No. And like anytime I got upset, I would whip that bad boy out and like no one would, you know, no one would come at me it. because they were like, oh crap, she knows what she's talking about. She has the constitution about. in her yeah. wallet. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's important to not, like, not be able to change it. So just, you know, full circle. Um, I would go. say from my point of view, like, let's start, you know, hanging American flags or, you know, like different American pride elements in our uh, American pride as in patriotic, yes, not, not rainbow. the other. <laughs> like, let's do some red, white and blue um, in our dorms. There's some really cute things you can buy um, rather than, you know, maybe the bar stool flag or, you know, maybe someone that doesn't totally support the the patriot agenda. So yeah. um, I would say make sure to, you know, pack your American flag. I used to have a little tiny one on my desk to, you know, keep me grounded. So, <laughs> But there's also my a lot friends. of different um different stores that you can go to to find um veteran owned american made mm-hmm. yeah. clothing um just to name a few there's um the gentle lady um there's <laughs> beauty and actually we'll just we'll just say the gentle lady there's okay. hope beauty hope beauty is um, great garnu yes. which we've talked about yeah. black rifle coffee uh, black rifle coffee is superior <laughs> to anything else and seven weeks coffee Ooh, oh so seven weeks i haven't coffee. tried that oh that's awesome because they're pro-life mm-hmm. yeah mm. love it love Ooh, it that's love so it. clever yeah so what about you that. hayden do you have anything I would definitely say, yeah, the pocket constitution is stellar, Kristen. Mm. Um, I would also <laughs> say knowing your, yeah, knowing your rights. Um, there are groups like Alliance Defending Freedom that mm-hmm. are able to represent you should you have some sort of free speech violation. Um, and so know that there are people that are willing to stand beside you and, and fight for you. This fight isn't for you to fight alone. Um, and just know, and know that. And um, so you can contact groups like Alliance Defending Freedom should you face um, something on campus that you shouldn't be facing if your club's being censored or if you yourself are being censored. Um, yeah, reach out to them. Yeah. So, so critical. Well, we asked we asked some of our problematical men on Instagram oh, yeah. and they had advice. We got uh, similar, similar words mm-hmm. of wisdom that we've spoken here today. Uh, Chloe J. Lopez, she said, join a conservative political action club. You'll make your best friends there. She says she sure did. Um, uh, we had another another problematic woman say, always be willing to back up your arguments, but never be the first one to bring up politics, which I found Ooh. was interesting. I, I think that can be, uh, especially if you're not a very controversial person, um, you don't necessarily automatically need to go straight to politics. But mm-hmm. if you're if you find yourself in a conversation, make sure you you know how you're going to respond. Think ahead of time. How am I going to respond in this situation before you get there? You're like, I know that that's not right, but I don't know how to respond mm. and also respond not just with facts and data, but in a way 
that will win hearts and minds is critical. And don't be scared, too, to have those conversations. I was, you know, laughing and kind of frustrated with myself because I knew this girl in college not very well, and I I really thought she was liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, here I am in D.C. talking to her. She's working at Susan B. Anthony List oh as, you know, a fierce pro-life advocate. And so you'd be surprised by the people that are on your side and actually do agree with you, even if you don't hear about it all the time. Interesting. I love that. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for joining us. This has just been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, we are going to leave it there for today's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So take a moment, leave us a five-star rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you like to listen. And don't forget to to follow us on Instagram. You can respond to our cool polls we got lots of them um lots of questions but have a great week guys Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation it is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen and be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram we produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host Bree Payton